Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode Hi. of Be Open and Authentic with Rohit. Hello, Tisha. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing good. So just good. to uh, uh, give us some context on the podcast. So today we have Tisha Cable with us, who is the founder and CEO of C-Model. And Tisha has uh, tons of experience in sales, business development and product strategy. So... Today we are going to be learning about Tisha's journey in the, in the startup world as well as her uh, corporate career in sales and business development so that we all can learn from it together. Firstly, uh, thank you Tisha for um, you know, taking the time to talk to me on the show today. I, I really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Great. So can, yeah. Tisha, can you start with a little introduction about your, your background and you know brief journey so far? Sure. Um, so... Uh, let's see a little bit about my background. Sometimes it's such an interesting thing because I, uh, mm. as much as I like talking, <laughs> talking about myself is hard. So <laughs> I, um, I've probably been in, uh, developing my career specifically, uh, for about 20 years. Um, I started my career in sales operations. I went to revenue operations. I was VP of business mm. development and product strategy at Singularity University. And then yes. before doing this, I was a VP of business operations at a scale up called Sales Impact Academy. So those, mm. uh, my trajectory has been across multiple uh, organizations uh, over the course of, uh, of my career, doing a few different things, but all headed in one uh, general direction, which is into the, the role that I'm in now as CEO of, of nice. C-Model. I've also uh, consulted. Uh, so probably past 10 years, uh, I consult and go into companies and help them to build the, the operational infrastructure necessary to forecast revenue mm-hmm. and uh, be able to manage sort of money in, money out. That's that's how the language I speak. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's cool. So it's you're working and also you also do consulting on the side just to make sure or just to help companies with sales as well as the revenue. That, that's great. Um, yeah. And so you've been you've been hustling for the most part and 20 years is I'm sure you have seen a lot and done a lot and learned quite a bit too. So I'm, I'm super excited to learn, if not all, at least some of it so that, you know, we all can take away something from from your experience. Cool. Th- thanks for uh, sh- sh- sharing this. So, you know, earlier you were saying that uh, everything led you to be, led you to the role that you are currently in. So, which is a C word, C model. Can you talk a little bit about C model and and what's your motivation behind you know starting starting the company? For sure. So, C model is a decision intelligence company. And in in the most simplistic forms, what we do is we help CEOs to make the right decisions at the right time related to the company's growth. Um, Mm. So that's providing them deep analysis, uh, insights, recommendations through our decision Mm. support engine. So that's um, at the highest level. How I got here, um, Mm. remember those jobs that I talked about having? Well... Mm. Between that and the fact that companies were calling me in to help them with information. So everything that you think about that happens in the decision-making process from collecting and gathering up a bunch of information, right? Finding problems and opportunities, and then figuring out what are some of the options? What are the ways that we can actually solve this problem? These are Mm. all things in one way or another that companies were calling me in to do, either in my job or as a consultant. So what I decided was... It's such a hard process, right? I mean, when you talk about just the process of finding information, usually it's data all over the place or there's Mm -hmm. no data at all. Um, Or if you think about um, what it takes to decide what, you know, what are your actual options? You rely on information from different people. You rely on subject matter expertise. Sometimes you have it, sometimes you don't. Uh, okay. So all this entire process need I just thought could be facilitated in a much easier way uh, using uh, algorith- algorithms and machine learning and uh, a connector to connect data sources and not ignoring that people need to rely on their gut. You know, yeah. that, that your instincts do matter. That is why most of us become leaders, because we want to lead with a vision. Um, exactly. So just exactly. creating a balance. Yeah. That, that, that is was nice. really what drove the company. 
Cool. So you you observe the patterns. You see you see, you see the opportunity. You saw the opportunity there, and now you're working to solve it. That that's, that is great. Um, and once, I want to get into uh, get a little deeper into uh, the the business problem because, for example, I've seen some companies address the same with some sort of you know business intelligence platform or some sort of providing some data analytics. But if you need to make a decision, you need data much beyond it, right? So because the I I see the term that you coined, right? Decision intelligence platform. So it's not just it's beyond the data that we have in you know that we capture. It it also depends on the market, uh, and it also depends on the kind of the business domain and uh, like you said, you know, instinct, right? How are you able to curate all this into one platform? So it it has to be much more than uh, I mean, the technology or data analytics platform. So, just just curious to understand what 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 else you you are bringing into the table. Yeah. So, so your point is an excellent one, and I think this is why our our software is so important. So, market intelligence for us today, it's in the form of benchmarks. For example, that's yep. one entry into understanding where you match up against another company. And when you look at the basic metrics that a company needs to track um, over time, most of the time someone's done it before you. So learning from what others have done is okay. And benchmarks is one way to do that. It's not that benchmarks are a perfect measure alone, which is why it's that's not, that's only one of the inputs. The other yeah. input that's really important for us is context. So yeah. who is your company? What industry are you in? What size are you in? How much money are you bringing in? And what stage, what's the actual growth stage of your company? Are you uh, an existence level company like mine, very early stage, and you really may or may not have a big extensive data set of product market fit? Are you a survival stage company, right, where you haven't yet hit all of the success matrix uh, metrics where the you would just start investing everything you have into growing? Or are you a high growth company where you're ready to take off, hire an amazing sales team and just, you know, go as far as you can possibly go? Or you're a resource mature company where yeah. it's really steady state from here on out. And what's most interesting about that is the makeup of what it takes to get into one of those groups of companies is not what people think. It's yeah. not like, oh, I'm a series A or a series B company. It's really about your ultimate goals too, right? Because yeah. my company is potentially a high growth company. That's where I'm headed, right? I believe yeah. we, we have a large market. We can um, grow and service a, a large market. Some companies mm -hmm. are not going to be that. They're going to be small businesses. Majority of the companies that are created are going to be small businesses. Mm -hmm. Yep. A company that is going to be a small business is going to hit what they call a disengagement level, right? They're never going to go into a high growth. They're going to be successful. They're going to go existence. They're going to go to survival. Yeah. They're going to hit success. And then they're going to either disengage or just ride it out as a mature company, right? That's going to be it. That's a, it's an important distinction. So that context ultimately leads to how our users experience our, our software. So there mm. aren't a lot of metrics for early existence level companies. Yep. There are more that you need to track when you're at the survival stage. And then based on the values of those metrics, then that's how your analysis is presented to you and how deep it goes. Then that also depends on what kinds of um uh, recommendations you're actually provided. And so yep. now we, we talked about, and I'm, I, I went around a little bit, but we talked about benchmarks as an input into mm -hmm. this decision support metrics mm -hmm. and their values, both their current and projected values. Yep. And now we're getting ready to talk about recommendations. Oh, well, we talked about analysis, right? Because when whatever the value of your metric, you need to know, is that good? Is that up? Is that down? Uh, is it within a benchmark is out of a benchmark, right? So there's observations about that data. And then there's this thing that we do, which is to ask questions of our experts. So there's an expert exchange. We ask you questions, you answer them, but then we only curate those responses to our users when it matches the analysis. 
Mm. Right. So my sales cycle is trending long. My accounts receivable turnover ratio is low. And then based on those things, I get recommendations as to how to actually solve them. So the processing is all of these elements go into our decision support engine, which does Mm. a bunch of curation and matching. Right. And uh, spits that information out to the um, to the end user at the right moment that it's, um, relevant. So, yeah. Well, yeah. So I see that you go like 10 level deeper and 10 level or like multi-level personalization to each company. Right. I, I like, I like this approach. So because decision making is the complex or the, I think the most complex uh, thing, you know, one of the most complex things that humans do because there is so much, you know, uh, even the, we may not realize, but we connect so many dots based on our previous experiences and it is so much very contextual, even based on the company or the personal experience or the leadership. So it, it varies a lot. So I like your approach in terms of personalizing for each company and based on the type of the company and then understanding their goals and providing the data and analytics for them uh, at the right moment. So, which is, which is very important. So how do you, how do you make it happen? Right? Because if you are, you are one platform, which tells me, but you cannot be super generic like other, you know, BA platforms or any other platforms. You have to little, be a little more, you know, um, personalized in the sense you need to work based on a client by client basis. So is, is that how you approach? You take one client and see how it all approaches them and curate the platform for that particular client or how, how does it work? Yeah, actually that, so this is what we come to prove is not, you, you can learn upfront about clients and then you can use automation and machine learning and out statistical analysis, heuristic algorithms. There are a number of elements that apply in our backend to make it real time, mm. right? And so what we do is take the time upfront with our customers. So remember, That's I've got years and years of experience with multiple customers in different uh, industries with multiple revenue models. And for each of them, the one thing that I went to prove when I went to, to create this business was there's a way to provide a service in a SaaS platform like this um, by understanding specific elements of the customer. Now, we're not all things, right? Yep. We're specifically relative to growth. So that yep. means your money in and your money out. Right. I'm not telling you, I'm going to tell you, um, you know, about other random elements within your business, right? These are specifically growth focused decisions. So we, we know enough to ask the right questions, consolidate the right information, connect mm. to the right systems to make this uh, something that doesn't have to be customized every single time. Although within the framework itself, there is customization, right? So I, mm-hmm. there, the, our onboarding process means that we sit down and get to know things about you. We yep. have to create a common language that mm-hmm. we all speak. We have to understand what it means to govern the data together, right? We're doing it in an automated way, but in order for us to do that, we have to gather up enough information up front. So what yep. would be a fallacy right now is for me to say, Onboarding is going to take one week. That's not realistic, nor can I tell you that you can onboard yourself. What I can tell you is that you can have the results that I guarantee if we follow the process that we need to follow, which is to collect information up front, which is really no different than what you would do if you hired a consultant. It's also no different than what you do if your data scientist or your business analyst were getting your systems ready. The difference is once we do it, then we can take the human hands off in some areas in order for it to be, you know, to remove some of the levels of inaccuracy that humans tend to uh, put. And we also make it live so that you don't end up with like the 80% obsolete information that most people have to rely on uh, because it, one, it takes long, and then usually they're they're focused on lagging indicators uh, by the yeah. time they get. So the expertise to create the system, 
right, in this very specific way um, to curate, not yeah. necessarily, um, uh, it's not making it a custom, right? Yeah. It's a curated experience versus a custom experience. That, that's the way that we like to, to think about it. So it's highly technical, true, but the user experience isn't because the idea that an executive, the problem today is, is that they get charts and graphs. No one cares yeah. about a chart and a graph. It tells you nothing, right? <laughs> Our goal is to take the charts and graphs out of the executive's life. There are some tools, some people still need to look at this. Right. Sure. In the back end of our system, charts and graphs are created. Our machines need charts. And, right. I mean, well, it, not technically, but sure. yeah, charts yeah. and graphs are created because the analysts that we hire to uh, look at data and ensure that our machines are being trained properly are yeah. also um, looking at those charts and graphs, but not the CEOs, the executives who are like, I need information. They want to know what and why. Sure. Yeah, totally yeah. makes sense. So, so I like the fact that you're just targeting the growth uh, and also being very contextual and, and understanding the company better during the onboarding itself, you know, it, which also means that it's not easy because you are going to be asking all the hard questions and it, it's not a, it's not a smooth process normally um, because I'm, but I'm sure that all the executives will understand because I'm sure they have, they know all, all of information, but I think the onboarding process itself reveals a lot of information, which is what you'll be using to to cure the or uh, to curate the decisions for the companies. Okay, I, I, I like this approach. Thanks for sharing this. So, yeah. since we are talking about growth and and the data that executives need or, the, or any company needs for growth, right? So, how what what do you think are the data points or the data that startups need to gather to make sure that they're growing in the right direction or they can grow in the right direction because when in the early stage i mean it's all over the place i mean um whether should i use benchmarks but i can't use benchmarks because i'm too early to you know go against benchmarks but I have to have some sort of data to validate that I'm going in the right direction, be it in the growth or, or sales or operations or revenue, be whatever it is. So I'm sure you have seen these patterns. Just want to understand what are the right data points for startups to focus on mm -hmm. so that they can make sure that they're going in the right direction. More of a KPIs in, in my opinion, but yeah. uh, I, I would let you uh, give me some, some details yeah. on it. So what I'll give it to you in, in, in this way, um, because I, I think part of the issue is, so what happens is I think companies get a little bit confused about business process, right? So there, this is actually on one hand, it's, we can completely simplify it. And I'm going to give you an example of that, or we can over, we can make it complex. There actually mm -hmm. aren't a lot of things that an early stage company needs to know, right? It's mm -hmm. actually just a handful of things. Yeah. Um, and there's a few things that they, they watch out for. So at an existence level, like a very, very early company that doesn't yet have product market fit, a company that um, probably hasn't raised any money uh, outside of their own uh, sort of customers, they don't necessarily have customers yet who are saying, for sure, this product is serving all of my needs. There's, they need to know how much money is going in and out of their company. They yeah. need to monitor financial statements, right? That's a, mm. a, a simple, easy one. They need to know how to actually acquire new customers, right? Yes. That's something that they need to know. They need to know how to monitor and gauge sort of their customer and prospect uh, interactions. What are my mm. customers actually saying? So I need to monitor my money. I need to be able to, I need to understand how to get a new customer. I need to know what my new customers are actually thinking. I actually need to understand sort of averages around that. How long does it take to get me that new customer? Um, on average, they're coming from this industry. They look like this. And then I need to understand my own capacity. Right. How much yeah. time does it take me to do things? How many contractors do I have? Is it time for me to have employees? Those are bits. Um, I need to understand opportunity costs at this age because that one thing that I do can take me out. 
right? So okay. being very careful about what I understand. The other thing is I do need to know what my market conditions are at the early stage. Because remember, without my own internal data to give me a clear view of product market fit, what are my competitors doing? What is the What are the benchmarks for my business in very specific areas? Uh, what are the global markets doing? How are they behaving, right? What's gonna happen if I decide I'm gonna fundraise or if my customers are gonna come from a certain group? Um, yeah. What is my product offering? And how can I, do I need to tweak it? How developed is it? Am I working with an MVP that I can adjust and tweak should a customer come back and say something to me or a prospect that tells me that I'm off track in what I'm building? Do I have the right set of metrics to track that? Am I talking to the right people? Um, and then they also need to manage their own expectations because yeah. sometimes, you know, we believe we believe our own stuff, but what does actual progress mean? Because remember, in this stage, you need to decide, are you a big high growth company? This is where the truth comes out, right? Or yeah. are you a small business, right? There's yeah. nothing wrong with being a small business at all. Yeah. But the, you, you, we have to put people in, people ourselves, we have to be very factual about that because otherwise you could yeah. take a perfectly good idea and it could be squalor because you go and try to do something with that, with it, that the idea isn't uh, good for, right? But yeah. you could have a very profitable small business that serves somebody's needs. So, so those are seven, I think, things that I gave you areas where I would say a company has to focus. So less about you know, just that there are numbers and metrics that go with those things, but it's really that kind of focus on growth. Great. This is great information. And, and I like the fact that how you, you know, just spoke about those, uh, like on top of, uh, your, your, you know, mind. So I think that also proves your expertise. I'm not, I mean, not proves in the sense that that conveys your expertise to, uh, the people, uh, I guess. Uh, but anyway, so th thanks for sharing this. Uh, so I th in a way, it's mostly about two things, right? One is understanding the broader market, uh, maybe market conditions and, and all those aspects. But before that, uh, the things that you specified, right, in terms of, okay, uh, what is your money in and money out, revenue, sales, expect. Uh, or customer acquisition cost. And, and I, I like the fact how you mentioned customer prospect, what, what they're thinking and, and uh, yeah. what are their expectations. So, which is also involving, uh, tracking this product market fit. That's how you figure out your product market fit as well, as well as managing your expert expectations, which is very, very crucial because that's what, that's what, that's what going to decide the make or break for the company. And yeah. also, um, and, and also about balancing the financials as well as finding a way to, you know, how you invest your money in, in the right places. I think, I think whatever you mentioned covers multiple aspects. I think, I mean, th those are, if I think about it, I, I think those are just the things that company, early stage companies needs to focus on. We can obviously call, you know, um, add hundred more things to it because thinking that we are going to solve this problem for everyone in this world. And we are going to be this uh, sort of a company. This is going to be a billion dollar market. So I need to track like hundred things. I don't think that's the case. What if you, if we, if any company follows whatever you said, uh, in, in the right directions, having the right KPIs and right metrics. So I think that's going to be a breeze because we can really simplify it and let's, let's be honest, right? I mean, uh, in the early stage, we can talk about hundred things. Or we can just talk about few things and and do that's it. Uh, and and that's it. You know, that's all you need. Um, yeah, it requires a discipline. Um, exactly. So when 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 I put my own self into a category, when we put ourselves, I I coming from being uh, an executive in companies that already um, had, right? It was a very yep. interesting thing for for me to transition to a startup mindset, uh, yep. where now instead of talking about strategies at these earliest stages, oh, I need a marketing strategy, I need a sales strategy, I need to be talking about 
tactics, things that I need to get done now that will help me to build a strategy. I need to test methodologies. I need to understand how to make my best decisions. I need to balance, you know, all my instincts with um, the, just the super important mission critical metrics, right? That, um, yeah. that I need to track at this stage. Although, you know, a month from now, I'll be in a completely different situation, right? Where now sure. I need to track, there are a few more things. There's a different set of considerations for how to run and manage um, my business, but yet still focused because that's the mission critical part of this is focus, focus, focus. Because when we don't focus, that's when we lose sight of the overarching goal. Right. You start to lose sight of what you're really trying to do, which is to build a business that solves a very specific problem. And you can't do that if you're within your own company, managing your growth, your business as something that's got that sends you in a, a bunch of different directions because that's how you overly spend money. Right. Oh, I, yeah. I want to hire some specialists to do something when you don't even need to be doing that thing. Well, now that's money you spent. I'm going to get a tool to help me to do this thing before yeah. you even need to yeah. do that. I, now you've spent money and then you yeah. end up, it's that one decision thing, right. That can yeah. end up breaking you. Exactly. Um, that, that is so true. Uh, and this is some of the common patterns that I observed uh, in, in many of the startups as well, across all the domains. And and I really want to emphasize your point in terms of focus, right? Uh, because that is the most important thing. Once you start solving the problem, I'm sure we need to be flexible to adapt and change based on the market conditions, but not deviate from it. I think adaptability and deviation I think there is a thin line there, particularly with the constant amount of information that is we are being overloaded with. We can just, it's, it's so easy to lose the focus and, and deviate and build something new. Sometimes it may work, but if you're conscience, conscious about it, that, that's a good thing. But if we have to understand whether we are being deviated uh, and or whether we are trying to adopt it, right? Uh, I think, but nonetheless, focus is the very key thing that I think, uh, every every company needs to focus on. Uh, yeah. Thanks for emphasizing on it and, and sh sharing yeah. sharing um, uh, no, no your experience with it. So, and and coming back to this uh, sales and business development that we are talking, right? So, in the early stage, that is the most important thing. In my opinion, that many startup founders tend to ignore or put less emphasis on or invest little on. Because particularly, I'm in the tech domain. That is the last thing that I really want to do. I can build things. But if you ask me about sales and marketing, you know, I will find a way to deviate from it or I'll find a way to ignore it um, for the most part. But that is the bread and butter for the organization along with the product. Right. Even if you have awesome product, if you have your sales and marketing strategy sucks, I mean, you're not going to get anywhere. So based on your experience, can you share some of the strategies that early stage companies can follow uh, in, in any domain? Okay. So that, that's an interesting one. And I'm going to come at this um, in two different ways, because on one hand, I have experience selling uh I have experience selling and then building, of course, the operational infrastructure to sell, uh, yep. but things that existed right, in companies with existing brands, I guess is what I should say. Right. Yep. So that's that's one level of experience. And then there's what I'm actually experiencing right now. Right. So I that this part will come from a very real. This is what I'm experiencing, because now I'm selling something that I'm creating. Right. As a as a startup founder, which is. Yep a different thing because there is no existing brand, right? I am, this is all being built. So here's what I would say. I would say that um, your passion as a, as a founder, your passion for what you've created is your strength, right? I have built something and in these early stages, I am out selling it. Right. Um, yeah. With along with my team, my team also be my co-founders. Right. We are mm -hmm. out selling because we have an understanding of what it is that we're selling and we have passion for it. Right. We believe yep. that this will work. 
So that passion is not for not that will, that is a, a huge part of what goes into your selling motion in these early stages. That's a mm. new lesson for me, right? Because coming in with having, you know, experience, I say, oh, I got to get my sales process. I've got to be able to understand the next, next click. I've got to know what data I'm going to track. But the truth is that the data you're tracking is prospect sentiment. What does that prospect tell you about what it is that you're saying? How hmm. many of their, those calls do they actually let you record so you can go back and listen hmm. and watch how they respond when you demo or how they respond when you give them certain data points or elements about um, the tool or the solution that you're providing to them? The other thing is, you know, do they believe in you, right? Because sometimes we're yeah. in the early stages, you're selling something that isn't the complete vision just yet. You know, yeah. it is part of the vision, right? My tool is no exception, right? Yeah. It, it is, it exists. It is doing great things. It is a part of the vision. The whole solution that we sell though is in development. Does that person believe, yeah. right? That you're going to do it. They won't. If there isn't any comprehensive understanding, if you haven't done your research about why they need it, mm. right? So that you can try to connect those dots. I think in these early stages, one thing I'm learning is that some level of um, really targeting is important too and being very specific about who you're asking to be customers at yeah. this stage. I, I've taken approach where I'm like, I, I wanna really um, test Right? I'm really curious about what lots of different people think. But at the end of the day, I keep coming back to this place that we need to be very specific about who yeah. we're asking to try or who we're asking to jump on the boat and, and be with us uh, on this journey. Because ultimately what you're looking for is data that proves that you have product market fit. Because if yep. you make a mistake in this yeah. area and you use, let's say I go out and get a hundred people to sign up, but those hundred people don't ultimately look like the real, the people who I'm, I said I was solving this problem for, right? They may sign up, but if I'm unable to solve their actual problem, if I can't make the thing do what it's supposed to do, that's going to become a challenge down the line. It's gonna be a challenge in getting the actual data I need to say, I got PMF over here, right? We're ready to go. That there's a potential for this thing to grow um, in a in a in an exponential way. So yep. the idea is to uh, make the early selling process more about conversations, more about uh, interactions where you're learning things and understanding things, and really being honest and upfront about the offer. Right. Yeah. Uh, here's where we are. Um, and um, being really passionate about what you have, because if it's yeah. if it's worth something to you, you know, you put you put that in. And I think people will respond to that. I think it'd yeah. be it's a mistake to just uh, make it a volume game too, too early. Um, sure. Now, there's a time and a place for the volume game, right? No one makes yeah. money or builds high growth companies without getting lots and lots of people. Yeah. But um, I think it's super important to understand what you're selling first. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's, it, I think it starts with uh, yeah, having a strong passion for the product and believing the, in the product because there is a reason that we build the product. Sometimes we may get the wrong signals that takes out the confidence in us. But we just got to have, you know, our instinct or focus on the product and, and get the right data points to, you know, understand the customer patterns, right? I think that the, the thing that you specify in terms of understanding the clicks or understanding the customer patterns in the current or future, I think it, it conveys us something and that is so true. But the other point that you mentioned in terms of we may get 100 signups, you know, which is actually a good thing. But if those are not your prospect customers or, you know, if those, if those are not the people that you are solving the problem for, that's going to give, you know, the mixed signals. So which takes out the contents as well. So I think we got to be very 
intentful about the people that we are talking to or selling for so that you know we get the right signals and the other point is this is where it gets tricky right you you are a startup you don't have the fully product you are selling the vision but vision is not the people not the thing that people pay for they pay for the product so how do you balance that out so you have to find a way to get them you know a believe in the product or you have to have that mvp where it can be yeah. worth paying so which is which is a very very tricky part right because i mean it's it's so hard to sell <laughs> at the, the early stages so do do you have any any specific recommendations on this particular aspect yeah so I, number one, your your product has to have value like you can't you you have to understand the value in your product at every phase of its development so yeah. there is no mvp if there is no value to the customer right so yeah. you can have let's say you've got a modulistic um product i've got a modulistic product not every module of my product is developed but yeah. i have value in the modules that are i didn't go to market and sell anything to anyone until i had that yeah. right until i had something really valuable to them i yeah. don't mean like you can log in right i mean where i can deliver you something that you're going to be like and and now that i have this i'll wait for everything else you have yeah right because uh because this is on its way to being this amazing uh products or this amazing solution yep. mostly because it solves a critical problem so really your mvp has to ultimately solve your problem it can't be i've just got an mvp that is a piece of technology cuz no one cares right yep. what they care about so that that's really where the value is so maybe that um that mvp should go from minimum viable product to minimum value products right because yep. it's really about the customer being able to retrieve something so yep. i i don't sell a vision for the sake of a vision yep. i'm selling a, a vision in a lot of ways right because there sure. are elements to be developed but there yep. is value in the thing that i'm asking you to jump on board and be a part sure. of now and then help me to make amazing with your um your feedback and your continuously being a part of the loop. So, I think there's an honesty factor right yeah. in this too and um and you build trust, right? Being yeah. honest. So, like for example, our onboarding process right now and your this is going to be public. Our onboarding process today is not as perfect as it will be when we get yeah. further down the line. It takes yeah. a while. You can't get the level of analysis that we're providing to your company. Yeah. right this you can't get this in an automated way without yeah. me learning a lot about your company so we're going to take our time and know about your company right and sorry customer it just takes us a little bit right and then <laughs> once we get you going now we're we're off and running and we could provide this value that we promise to you and then that will only increase over time it will only get better as we get further and further down the line so it's yeah. to be careful that we're selling a vision that is realistic right but one that uh, yeah. we should be passionate about that realistic vision too but it is also to be careful that the product has a true value um to the customer gotcha um, yeah uh, totally get to the next phase yeah agreed uh, to totally makes sense so it's not just the vision that you're selling obviously not the vision that you're selling so it's it's about the mvp but mvp is in terms of the customer pro customer standpoint it has to be minimum payable version so yeah. it can be minimal you know viable for us but is it if you are selling to a customer is it minimum payable version for them to be able to pay That's for it That's yeah, I think I, I think I just coined this term. Uh, I'll, I'll probably yeah. use it more, uh, but but yeah, it totally makes sense. And and in terms of how do we approach it, we have to modularize in a way that whatever you are releasing or whatever you are asking, you know, to pay the customer, it has to be worth it. It has to have enough value before you go sell it. Uh, totally makes sense. And that's how we also easily 
understand the product market fit you know if they're not paying it it is giving us red signals or if they if they want few more features you know that this i mean everything is a data point so if we have that minimum uh, viable or payable product then we know that we have it's easy to approach the product mar- you know identify the product market fit or understand ourselves process itself so th- thanks That's for sharing right. it uh, yeah, yeah. Um, there, and I, in that space like i don't know here's the other thing i don't know everything or knows remember there was what i did as a leader in companies with the brands that existed and what i'm learning as an entrepreneur right with a brand yeah. that is developing it's just totally different but yeah exactly and this is yeah. this is where my next question goes right so how do we set the process because it cannot always be like Let's you know. Let's go reach out in LinkedIn. Ask you know. Ask or identify the product market fit. Or ask customers to try it and give us some feedback. And and you know it's it's fine. But how do we develop and have the right infrastructure or processes in place so that you know they are scalable and we know that we are going in the right direction. Be it for sales or operations. I know you've done it at multiple companies, but just want to understand how those can be replicated in startups. If not the same, I think it has to be. The, there had to be many tweaks, but how can yeah. we take from those companies and how can we incorporate in, in the startup that, that we are building? Yeah. So, so that, okay, that's a great question. So the, what I would say is remember context is everything, right? So if you take your company, everything is about that context because yeah. metrics, for example, are a great way to decide what type of infrastructure you need. Yep. So if I'm a SaaS company, if I've got to track ARR, then yep. I need a way of collecting the data required to calculate the value of ARR. Hmm. So it depends on, that could be a spreadsheet if I'm entry level, that could be a CRM and my financial system, right? Yep. I've got to decide how much, now I'm like, so is it $0 in ARR in that case? Excel is beautiful, right? Yeah. Or are we talking about millions of dollars in ARR where I'm going to need to track, uh, I need a CRM, and then, of course, I've got my financial system to track the, the yeah. final version of that, to track my sales work, right? So so those the infrastructure to me is also connected to the context, right? Who, what, Where am I as a company yeah. and what, what volumes of things am I taking in right now? And then yeah. based on that, I decide what kind of systems and tools that I actually need in order to execute collecting the data necessary to measure that value. Yeah. Right now, if I if I put myself out there to, to track a million things. So, for example, an early stage company in its first uh, year um, unless it has a, a B2B, let's be even more specific. So a B2B sales type company that's selling annual contracts to, to companies, um, in year one, your, one of your metrics probably isn't your renewal rate, mm. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. In, in <laughs> just as an example, why? Yeah. Because, you know, you're not yet renewing anybody. First, you're, you're bringing sure. folks in. They're on an annualized contract. These these are like, this is a small decision, but it's a decision to make because if I decided that I was going to track that right now, then there's a processing and mechanisms I have to put in place to track it, right? Yeah. Uh, it, that one was, that might not have been like the best uh, example, but I'm, I'm going to stick with it anyway, right? So yeah. if, because if I select that, now put all the necessary processes around it in place um, to track it. Then I've got to say who's going to manage that process because in order for me to collect that data, it requires some people to do stuff a certain type of way. Do I have those people in my company today? Right. And if I'm measuring something like a renewal rate or churn at this point, then I need to know why. Right. So does that mean that I've hired like a customer success person or is that me kind of measuring why? But for every one of these things that we say is a metric or data point, there's a process that governs it. And there is a person that's usually responsible for making sure that that process runs. So Mm -hmm. everything, every single bit of infrastructure that gets built in your company is all related to that same 
context because you should you will get off track real quick yep. if you're if you're operating and tracking things that you really don't need because then you go build stuff that you yep. don't need to build right even yep. if you spend time building out a complex formula to track something in a spreadsheet let's say you don't have a fantastic tool like mine that does it all for you and you are in this that's time because now i need someone who understands how to use that spreadsheet and put that information in. And then I also need someone who's gonna understand how to interpret that for me, right? So it, you start to create complexities in your business that you just don't actually need. So sticking to who you are dictates everything. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. But and, and I want to emphasize the point that you mentioned here. So I, I, I see there's a lot of value in it uh, in terms of, you need to identify the KPAs that you want to track and make sure that those are the right, you know, KPAs to track in the early stage. Right. Maybe error may or may not work for everyone, but we need to identify those KPAs and we need to work backwards from there to build this infrastructure or mechanisms in place to get the mm -hmm. data for us. And the key point here is sure you're tracking those, but do you have a person responsible? to improve those numbers for you or to make sure that those are put in the right direction and we are moving in the right direction. So that is a customer success, be customer success or any, any person in the, in the, it can just be CEO at the beginning, but some, mm -hmm. someone has to be really responsible for doing the end-to-end -end process. We have the KPAs, great. Okay. So how do we get the data? It yeah. can be as simple as website clicks or some Google analytics or maybe some uh, some of the, the spreadsheets where it says about customer interaction or product market fit or be whatever it is. So are we gathering the right data and curating in the right way to get the KPI? And it's not about having the KPI. How are we improving the performance, right? So we need to have a personnel to take care of it for us and make sure that we are going in the right direction. So this is how I, uh, seems like this is how the, sales pipelines or any growth pipelines are built at the companies. Okay. That is very, very insightful. I, I like this approach. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for sharing it, Tisha. Yeah. I know, no uh, yeah uh, I know we, I have like, I can ask like, you know, 10 more questions, uh, because I think <laughs> I, I feel like we are just starting the discussion. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because this is actually what I want to cover. I know, but I also want to be cognizant of the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, cool. Okay. I think, I think we'll, can you for a couple of more, you know, questions. So, uh, so in terms, in terms of, uh, the sales, since we're talking about the sales as a founder, let's say, you know, I'm a technical person. This is something that I really tried to avoid at my previous startup or, uh, I've seen uh, technical founders be, you know, avoiding this process startups because they just like building products and, and. I've seen at some other companies, even the business persons, you know, it's not always, not everyone has expertise on sales. And I think sales is not the easiest thing to pick up. It has to, maybe it is maybe natural for so many people, but it's not, it's definitely not easy in my opinion. So as a, as a non-salesperson or uh, as a business person or for any person that's not into sales. So what do you recommend, you know, how, uh, for, for the founders? either to learn or um, how can they have these processes built so that, you know, they are not really ignoring it or they are doing and to, to ensure that they are doing it the right way. Yeah. So I think that um, one of the things is this, so it's so funny we're having this conversation. So our, and I, and this is not intended to be a sales pitch, but I have to say this. So the yeah. reason why C model exists is our decision support engine, right? The recommendations that come out of that are for this purpose. So you don't know a lot of things. We, we already knew coming into this, that 67% of CEOs, right? And SaaS companies have never been CEOs before. 79% yeah. of them have never been leaders in companies and less mm. than 5% of them have ever even been on growth related teams. Right. So we know that that's, that, that is, that's the data. So well, with that being the case, getting insights about things you should do in related to your company's growth in the moment that you see 
information. Like if I'm looking at my sales trending in a certain direction, it's in that moment that I actually need a recommendation about something I should do. Right. It's it's really so you can't every single idea that I might have about things you should do. It really depends on what's happening in your business. This is why uh, C model is so important, because it curates that recommendation to that moment. Right. So yep. in general, we could be like, oh, you should be doing these 20 things. But these yep. 20 things may not help you out of context and out if they're not aligned to what's going on in your business today. Yep. So that's the whole purpose. So thank you for giving me a chance to say that. Uh, sure, <laughs> because that's, that's the, the whole intent. What I would say is, though, there are uh, resources for founders um, in, in different places. So there are resources like Sales Impact Academy has classes and courses. Hmm. Um, Pavilion has classes and courses. Um, uh, LinkedIn Learning has classes and courses. As you can see, I'm 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 non-denominational here. Yeah. <laughs> There's right there. There are classes and courses that um, you can take to give you, you know, niche skills in sort of talking to or thinking about your customer. Mm. The thing is, it's very important to apply that to what you know about your customer and your product, right? Yeah. And really your problem. So ultimately, one of the things that I've been learning, and I'm saying learning because I'm in this process now, is, is, it, is that every person that I'm talking to is a human being too. They're a person too. Right. Yeah. And they're going to identify more with me solving a problem for them than I am with anything else. So anything yeah. that teaches us to be sensitive about how to recognize a customer's challenges, right. And their problem and how you can sort of match that to what you're doing to me yeah. feels like good ways to, to take maybe these courses and classes and then, bring it back inside and go, okay, I learned these kind of tips and tricks when things look like this. Here's how I might apply this based on this kind of problem related to my customer yeah. um, and, and my uh, product. So I do say that education is everything. Um, yeah. I think that uh, a tool like ours is super helpful because then you get a chance to get these from real subject matter experts, by the way, right? These are people yeah. we vet that really have good information we ask very specific questions. So then curating that information and uh, back to you at the right time is important. But just yeah. in general, there, there are resources to learn things. Those things aren't ever going to be, uh, they're not gonna teach tech folks though, how to be <laughs> passionate <laughs> about sure. sales. But it, yeah. will, it will give you, I think, structure around your selling process that could help yeah. you um, to make things repeatable, because that's really the whole goal is yep. to find what's going to be repeatable. That's why investors invest in us. All of that yep. comes because we create something that, um, I mean, ultimately the goal is that I don't have to be on every sales call down the line, but <laughs> the person yep. that I hire can be just as passionate about it. So we, we do have to find uh, how to do that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing this. And then I um, understand. No, I think I also understand better on how, why C model is important after talking about all those problems than, you know, when I learned about C model to start with. So, uh, but but the, if, if anyone wants to learn, I think there are multiple uh, things that, you know, Tisha shared, but applying those to the context and finding a way to make those repeatable, um, and scalable because we cannot keep selling to everyone, right? We have a bandwidth constraints and we have so many resource constraints as well. So how can we build a process? And most importantly, how can we Im improvise to the context that we are in? Be it the company, the business domain or anything is very crucial. Obviously learning is the most crucial part, but applying those things in the right way is, is equally crucial as well. Cool. Yeah, I think, I, and this is, this is great. Thanks for sharing those, uh, Tisha. So, 
and 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 just want to add one more point here so sure we we yeah. learn those but ultimately it goes goes back to the earlier point that we discussed in terms of okay we have the sales process in place but tracking the understanding the kps that we want to track even in terms of sales and building the infrastructure for it which is which again is probably the sales pipeline or the process that we have in place and adding the right resources for it i think will give us the end to end pipeline about about sales and operational infrastructure yeah, i guess but mm-hmm. if if you have the luxury of you know talking to experts or tools like c model if you can afford or or find a way to uh, you know uh, get get those <laughs> tools for you i think that that's even better but nonetheless this is the process i think every every tech or any any founder should should have in place or uh, should follow at least in my opinion cool uh, yeah. i mean this is this is very insightful uh, and and very knowledgeable thank you, thank you tisha so now i'm going to very... uh, yeah thank you uh, so i'm going to take a little bit of step back and want to learn more about you so okay. i know um, we it, you were in the corporate roles and now you you're seeing the problem and you want to solve at a bigger scale which is great but that also means that you are quitting your corporate career right you may 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 do consulting but you may not always do it because once you are into the product you are like so deep into it that you really want to focus on the product but you are losing out at least for a brief period of time you are losing out on a on a bigger paycheck uh, on on a, on a luxury lifestyle and also you know and also <laughs> risking and risking those things for the long term yeah. as well you never know what you know because the success rate of products is you know very low uh, compared to the bigger picture um, uh, so by any means i'm not saying that you know we all we cannot build great products but we are still risking so many things to start the company so what what is your motivating factor and and what was your thought process while making the decision because since i'm since i'm in the corporate environment i can totally understand uh the pain here so just just curious to understand your thought process and what really motivated you to start the company so what a fantastic question so what was interesting is it's a it's a few fold for me on on this um mm-hmm. so it was a risk um it was a risk on sort of my career right you you develop yeah. a career to a certain point very few black women ever uh have the kinds of roles that that okay. I had uh in my career and so to leave that behind was a risk because who knows if I get it again I mean I I am confident and believe in myself and what we're building but at the same time risk right yep. um it was a risk for my family because of you know you you bring home the kind of salary that I had and now not having that my husband had to agree you know we had to be on the same page he was very supportive yeah. it demonstrates how much he believes in me um but we made that decision together because we also have um six adult children young adult children and wow. grandkids right and th- there's a lot in our family yes. that this um uh impacts it by me being able to do this um and but again confidence and belief that that we can uh was one of the big factors The other is um even more generational than that, right? Uh my grandmother was second generation off of a plantation in Zachary, Louisiana. So mm-hmm. my family um we're not I feel like we're just not so far from levels of poverty, right? That um you know that that my I'm calling my ancestors these are my family members not that long ago. uh live through. So building a business like this if we're successful, um god willing, then you know, we'll have an opportunity to to build something far more substantial for the next few generations uh in my family. So the risk yeah. is worth it um for that. And then I think of this last thing which is um so I have a daughter who's an artist, right? And I'm going to use her as an example and I think there are more artists in the world, but if people don't know that that's an if that's not an opportunity for them, right? Then we won't get the beauty of what they have to present to yeah. us because they never think that there's an opportunity for them to do this and be an entrepreneur and figure it out. So, yeah. part of my why is that ideally if I can enable 
my the people in my family to have the opportunity to go build and create and be as special as they were built to be, then the next generation gets to do that and the next generation and then people get more value out of their work, right? <clears throat> because now they're working on things that not only are, uh, you know, can make them money, right? But that they get some personal joy and fulfillment out of, or they get a chance to create and learn how to build. When I started my career, that was one of the things that I found in operations. One of the things I found was I still had the ability to create and be special. I could build things and solve problems with creative solutions. <clears throat> that can be applied in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And, excuse me. I'd love oh, to yeah. see, um, I'd love to see more people have that chance. So my, my, it was a risk, but it's a, if, if that's one of the outcomes, yeah. risk worth taking. Well, yeah, yeah I, I totally uh, agree with you. And, and I feel you too, um, because here it's, it's not just about us or, you know, or, or just, just one family too, right? Because if you have seen a lot or if your family has seen a lot, and if you are enabling them to see a bigger picture, and if you are proving to the world that we can do this, I'm so sure so many people would follow us and would start learning that we can create so much more value with our skill set. Because at this point, we need more and more enablers, right? Particularly, you know, um, in the African American community, uh, that the opportunities are have been narrowed down uh, due to whatever. So, I mean, factors are, they're super narrowed down. Um, and, but the potential is so much more, right? So now you are stepping and say that, Hey, just don't, let's not have the narrow mindset, you know, let's start building things because we can do those things and start being an example to so many other folks around us, particularly to our, you know, to our own kids or the family members and, and to the, to the great people around us. If we can prove those, it's the impact is much more, right? Uh, many people um, would start following us, which also means that we are building the generational wealth that we really need to build so that we all can learn and develop together. And particularly that's also paying, you know, kind of tribute to our own ancestors or, you know, family members who for, uh, you know, fought so hard for us to, you know, get us here. And I think yes. it, it really goes multifold. Uh, and then coming back to the point in terms of, but that is great, but also you have to get a buy-in from the family and kids, you know, in, in multiple factors. And, and, you know, if you have that support that we have to be really grateful for it and also make sure that, you know, we, we give it back to them in some other way. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Cool. Yeah. Th thanks for, you know, being open and, and authentic actually, uh, uh, uh on this, uh, this is, this is very important. And this is one of the reasons that I do this podcast too, because we have to convey these journeys to the people yes. and, and, and also sure we have to, uh, you know, give some value, but I think there is a bit of a, you know, disconnect because we can talk about so many technical things. If you're not talking about why you started the, your journey and what it is now. I think many other folks miss out on learning and being inspired from you because this is such a big risk to take. And, yes. but you're also proving that we can do things. So if people can learn, listen to you and, and learn that, Hey, why shouldn't I at least try it out? Right. That is the thought process that needs to be embedded into the people. And which yes. is what, I, what this podcast is trying a little bit to do. Uh, but, but, but anyway, uh, thanks for really being open and, and authentic. Uh, that is, um, uh, so good to hear and I learn from you. Well, you are welcome. Thank okay. you for having me. I appreciate sure. it. Yep. Yeah. And, and one last question, Tisha. I, um, for sure. so I, I, this is something that I asked to, um, I know all the, all the guests. <clears throat> so can you, if you need a minute, you can take it, uh, after, after this question. Uh, but I'm sure you have like so many things on top. You can just give it to me right away. So can you help me learn something in two minutes that took very long for you to learn? Oh, 
Okay. Uh, in two minutes, it took me a long time to learn. Um, oh, can it be, does it have to be sort of like anything. a business thing? Anything. No, okay. anything uh, that you learned. Okay. So, okay, and it's complex. So sometimes you have to go fast and sometimes you have to go slow. Yep. That is my learning. So there are there are elements of things we do where we just got to go. We just got to like knock it out. Yep. Um there it, you cannot procrastinate. And yep. uh there are a number of things like hiring people is an example of one where you must go slow. Yep. Yep, you you have to that is not a go fast element, <laughs> but you know, if you've got 10 calls to make in a day, like knock it out, right? Yeah. Get it done and keep it moving. But so the balancing when to go fast and go slow, as an entrepreneur, I I'm now, I get a chance to really take that in and I get a, a, I get a chance to really utilize that lesson. So that's it. And, and I don't know if that's really, um, if it's a, tip or if that's helpful to anyone oh. because I didn't say the, the what, but it's, it's a, a thing I would say that we all have to learn about our own experience when exactly. to go fast and when to go slow. Yeah. That, that is a very, very valuable tip because you really have to go fast and knock out so many things, but you cannot just do the same all the time. Knocking out the things is important to get the work done, but in the key things like hiring or, or making decisions, uh, you know, about, about the company or anything, you have to be really slow and thorough. I mean, slow is, can be interpreted in many ways, but thoughtful and taking your thoughtful. own time uh, to do the things <clears throat> is very important. And that is such a hard skill to learn and adopt because that takes discipline, patience, and focus. Uh, uh, that is a very valuable lesson. Th thanks for sharing it, Tisha. So again, I know I have, again, I can keep on going um, because I, I I want to talk more uh, about, about your experience a little bit more, but I think we can, we can probably do another episode because we had just, still in the morning. We have a lot of work to knock off for the day. Sometimes Me maybe it's the day. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. So cool. Uh, okay. I'm going to end it here. Um, Again, okay. thanks a lot, Tisha. Thanks for really being open and authentic and sharing your valuable information uh, sure. with us so that, you know, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity for all, everyone to learn from this episode uh, and, and from you as well. So I'm going to attach all the links in the, in the video if anyone wants to learn more about Tisha or, or the work, great work that she is doing at C-Model. Um, so, yeah, th thanks again. Um, thanks and, for and having have, me. Have a wonderful day. Of course, it's, it's okay. my, my honor and pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Okay.